college and I am in young men. Uh, all of these students at Commonwealth Baptist College and I am thankful for what goes on in the classrooms and uh, the work and not only of what they learn in the classroom, uh, but how they bless us with their singing and their faithful work of soul winning. And they're a fine and encouraging group. And I appreciate uh, uh, Mrs. Mitchell uh, working with them and just the job well done. I want you to put your attention on verse number 17 for the message tonight. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 17, Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. I want to preach tonight on this subject, weep between the porch and the altar. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word tonight. I hunger for a fresh anointing of your power. And I pray that you would bless the message as it's heard here. Uh, Lord, in this uh, auditorium, I pray that you'd bless it as it is heard and watched uh, online, uh, not only now, uh, but throughout the week. I pray that you would use it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning in my sermon, I announced my campaign for this election year. If you were here this morning, you heard that I announced my campaign for revival. Uh, more than needing uh, a particular uh, group of people in leadership, though that is important, more important than that is that we have a spiritual awakening. Now, now why would we wait for others uh, to uh, lead that or others, why not just go ahead and do what God has instructed us to do? And so I preached this morning uh, my campaign for revival. I want to review as it is the foundation for the message tonight. We look this morning at the condition of the land of Israel as recorded in Joel chapters 1 and 2. They found themselves being devoured, being devastated from the invasion of the enemy that was turned loose on them. We saw in chapter 1 and verse number 4, we saw the canker worm and what the canker worm had left, the caterpillar had eaten and what the caterpillar had left, the palmer worm had eaten and their land was devoured. It was dry, it was desolate, it was suffering. I'll not go through all of those verses tonight as I did this morning, but this important statement. When this happened in that day, Joel the prophet used this as an illustration to get the attention of the people spiritually. And so I posed this question. If Joel should use the things going on in the nation of Israel, uh, the devastated economy, the condition of the people, if he used that to, to bring awareness to their spiritual need, should not we do the same in our day? Should we not see the invasion into our country uh, with alarm? I believe we should. 
a uh, new report, or at least a new report to me uh, today, is that not only uh, are we being invaded from nations around the world uh, through the southern border, but now attention is being given uh, to the northern border in nations, uh, not the people that are coming to uh, be a part of America as far as a working citizen, but one that would desire to devour and destroy is coming not through just our southern border, but now attention given to the northern border. If Joel paid attention to the invasion in his day, we ought to pay attention to what's going on in our day. Should we not see our ever-increasing debt as a devastation to the future of our children and our grandchildren? Should we not pay attention to and be alarmed by the increasing crime, the growing hatred for Israel, uh, the increasing divide between those uh, uh, who consider themselves uh, conservative and those uh, uh, that consider themselves uh, liberal. Uh, should we not be alarmed at the use of the educational system as a propaganda tool of the woke crowd? Uh, should we see these as Joel saw, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, and the canker worm? And I think the answer is yes, that should get our attention not just for our economy but for our relationship with God. The second thing I preached this morning was the decision of the prophet and that was to preach for revival. He decided I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let the palmer worm, the canker worm, and the caterpillar have my nation. I'm not going to let the invading armies have my nation. And so he decided to preach for revival. As I read about his words, Joel's words, and his desire for revival, I thought about a recent reading of General Eisenhower, who was actually in the Philippines with General Douglas MacArthur, and he was was called to Washington and he said my greatest fear is that I would get a desk job I've been trained as a general not to sit at a desk but I've been trained as a general to lead my men or to lead men in battle God give us preachers that are not looking for a desk job I said God give us preachers that are not looking for a desk job but one that said I've been trained to preach the word of God and I want to be on the front lines and I want to lead into battle with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Joel preached for revival. He lifted up his voice. And you and I today are told to occupy till he comes. I understand what Jesus said and I believe it's true. When you see these things come to pass, then lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. I want you to know tonight, I look forward to the redemption drawing nigh. I look forward to the return of Christ and the rapturing of the church. Hey, but friend, until he comes, we're supposed to occupy until he comes. I said we're supposed to occupy. We're not supposed to crawl in a bunker and just wait. We're supposed to occupy. That means to fight and stand and preach as the young people just saying we are to fight for revival in our nation. 
the third part of the message, I gave instruction for revival in this time and I pointed out four things from this passage of Scripture uh, that I'll repeat here and then one more time as I close the message, but not in detail as I did this morning. He said, first of all, we need to pray. We need to seek the face of God. That instruction is given in verse number 12, 13, and 17. Notice, if you will, uh, Joel 2, 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garment. Don't you put on a religious show for me. I don't look on the outside. I'm not looking for a crying face. I'm looking for a broken heart. I'm not looking for a frowning face. I'm looking for a heart that's burdened, a heart that's broken, and a heart that has desired uh, to seek the face of God. First of all, he said to pray. Second of all, he said, make the assembly important. And you'll find in verse number 15 and 16, uh, he talked about bringing God's people together. Notice it, if you will, verse number 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. You know what that means? Let everybody know. He didn't say make a quiet appeal. He said blow the trumpet. Now I heard a hundred people singing back here. I heard the instruments playing, the piano and the organ, and I heard these instruments, but the one instrument I heard the loudest was this trumpet sitting right here, and I like getting used to the sound of the trumpet because, friend, that's my signal to come home and meet the Savior in the air. Ah, but when he spoke to his preachers, he said, you lift up your voice and you make it sound like a trumpet. That's what he said. And here, he said, I want you to call people to church with a trumpet. I want you to notice what he says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. He didn't say anything about a rock and roll entertainment service. He said a solemn assembly. Verse number 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth out of his, cha of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. As we look at the New Testament, we find that relates it to the church. And Hebrews 10, 25 says not to forsake the assembly. Hey, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? Uh, that's the day of the return of Christ. Uh, his day is coming. His day is coming. And you'll find five times in this passage of Scripture, Joel refers to the day of the Lord called an assembly. Hebrews 10.25 says, As you see the day approaching, we don't need less church. We need more church. Number one, pray. Number two, make church the center of our lives. Number three, call everyone of all ages to the assembly. That reminds me of what the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 23. And he said unto the servant, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The fourth thing I gave you this morning from this passage of scripture is that we need preachers. We need modern day priests to be active in this work of calling the assembly a solemn assembly for the sake of seeking the face of God. Tonight I want to go a step further and look at a statement made in verse number 17 where he says, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, he's already told them to pray in verse number 12 and verse number 13. Here he says, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, 
and give not thine heritage to reproach. Hey, America wasn't founded as, a, as an atheistic nation. America wasn't founded as a communist nation. America wasn't founded as a socialist nation. America wasn't founded as a woke nation. America was founded on the principles of the word of God. And he said, don't you let our heritage be given to the heathen. That's what he said. Don't you let that happen. And he said, don't let them rule over them. And wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? I'll tell you where our God is. He's where he always has been. He is sitting on the throne and one day soon he'll sound the trumpet and we'll meet Christ in the air. Until that time, we're not going to sit back, but we're going to sound the trumpet and occupy until he comes. Now, the phrase between the porch and the altar, what was that? Let me tell you a little bit of history from the Bible about Solomon's temple. Between the porch and the altar was a reference to Solomon's temple, Joel 2.17. The porch was 30 feet wide and it was 15 feet deep. The space provided an entryway to the holy place from the east. Listen to the wording. The inner court was different from the outer court to which the laity on the inner court, non-priest, they were restricted. 1 Kings chapter 6 verse number 3. And the porch before the temple of the house, 20 cubits, a cubit is about 18 inches, therefore 30 feet, was the length thereof according to the breadth of the house and 10 cubits, 18 times 10 is 15 feet, was the breadth thereof before the house. 1 Kings 6, 36, and he built the inner court with three rows of hewed stone and a row of cedar beams. We're talking about Solomon's temple, and that's the reference that Joel is given here. 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse number 9, the Bible says, Furthermore, he made the court of the priest and the great court and the doors for the court and overlaid the doors of them with brass. There are two mentions of negative events recorded in the Bible that occurred here between the porch or on the porch or between there and the altar. Prior to Nebuchadnezzar's final siege of Jerusalem, Ezekiel in a vision. I did not say he saw it physically, but as Ezekiel had many visions, he sees in a vision, Ezekiel 8, 16, a group of about 25, and that's what the Bible says, men that were bowing themselves, but... Ezekiel said they had their backs to the altar and they were facing the people. Let me read the verse for you. Ezekiel 8, 16. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worshipped the sun toward the east. He imagined a group of people that had turned their back on God. And as Romans said, 
they had become worshipers of the creature rather than the creator. Are you with me tonight? There's a second event that's a negative event, uh, negative event that took place where we're talking about here this place where he told the priest uh, to weep between the porch and the altar and that is Matthew chapter 23 verse number 25 and this records the place of the murder of Zechariah. The Bible says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Now the prophet Joel, talking about Solomon's temple, he speaks to the purpose or to the traditional function and work of this place between the porch and the altar. It was a place where the priests were to call upon God not in repeated prayers, but they were to weep. Now, the weeping is found throughout the Bible. There are some times that when we go to God in prayer, we are hurting so much that we don't know what to say. We just present ourselves in tears. For example, a child may come to their parents and they're crying. Our first question is to say, what's wrong? When I go to God in tears, he already knows what's wrong. And the Holy Spirit of God bears witness or gives to the Father what my need is. And that is his work of intercession. Excuse me while I get a little bit excited about what the Bible teaches of the love of my heavenly Father for me. And so the prophet Joel speaks to the purpose or the traditional function. This is where the priest goes not just to pray but to weep. 1 Kings 8.22 the Bible says, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. I'll tell you what, let's read it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22, please. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 and go down to verse number 22. And let's see what prayer he prayed. Sometimes folks will say, what do you pray? Well, there's so many prayers in the Bible that we can learn from. We can learn from structure of prayer. We can learn from the emotion of prayer. We can learn from the heart of the prayer. We can learn from the words of the prayer. Jesus taught uh, them how to pray, and John taught his disciples how to pray. Here Solomon uh, is praying, and he says this, 1 Kings 8 to 22. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. Look at verse 23, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath. Now that's a truth that we ought to praise God in prayer about. You see, that's a good thing for me to pray. God, I come to you understanding you're the great God of heaven and eternity. There's none greater than you in heaven or in earth. I can praise God learning how to pray the way Solomon prayed. Now notice what he says here. Who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Now this is important because covenant is a promise of God. That's not like the promise of a friend or even the promise of an attorney. For when God makes a covenant, he keeps his covenant. 
that's why Joel has the boldness, even though they are, they are hurting because of the sins of the people, he can still go to God in covenant and say, God, you promised to bless if we turn from this and we turn to you. You'll find this same thing in the prayers of all of God's people. And notice what he says here. Who has kept with thy servant David my father, that thou promised him, thou spakest also with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. Now therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep thy servant David my father, that thou promised him, saying, There, not, there shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet have thou, have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. Now Solomon is coming to this place between the porch and between the altar, and this is where Solomon prays in what is Solomon's temple. It is the place. Now hear the statement in their approach to God in Joel chapter 2. In the physical residence of God, Solomon's temple, it was the tabernacle of the Shekinah glory above the mercy seat. The priest would have moved, listen to the wording, empty-handed past the altar of burnt offering because the locust plague and the drought has presented them from offering anything. It is here that Joel says, with their backs to the altar, they were to weep and make supplication with nothing to offer God other than a contrite heart. We have nothing to give because the locusts have eaten it all. Our cattle are dying. I don't have a sacrifice to make. And I come to you broken and hurting and empty-handed. I have one thing to give, and that is a contrite heart. I have a broken heart for the people. And, oh God, I present as my offering my broken heart, asking that you would hear my prayer for the people. Today. You and I are priests. You understand the power of God once dwelt in the tabernacle and dwelt in the temple. When we come to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit no longer dwells on a building or a moving tabernacle. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. I do not go to a priest to get to God. I go now directly to God in prayer. So what could this mean to me to go between the porch and the altar and weep? The answer is, you and I go to the porch where the people are who cannot go in. But I can go in because I am a priest with God. 
And I am to not just live my selfish life and just live my life out and enjoy the blessings of life, but I must have a burden for those that are without. And I come to God between the porch and between the altar. You see, if you came to my house, you wouldn't just come in my house, you would come to my porch. And you would either knock on the door or you would ring a bell. And I would come to let you in. You see, the porch is where you stand to see if you're welcomed in. That is my spiritual position standing before God on behalf of the world. I was in a meeting a couple of three years ago in Washington and I stayed in a Trump hotel. Now, I didn't pay for it and have no idea what it cost. That was just my, where, where I was assigned to stay. And uh, I had a driver to take me from the building there uh, where I had a meeting uh, to the Trump Hotel. It was better than any comfort inn I'd ever stayed in. It, it, it was nicer than any Super 8. I mean, it was really nice. And when I got there, there was a man standing at the door. He had on a black suit. He had on white gloves and a nice top hat. I just stood there and looked at him. I thought, wow, this, this guy's sharp. And I wondered what he was doing. He said, do you have a reservation? And I said, yes, I do. He said, may I see your ID? And so I gave him my driver's license. He took me to the desk there and he presented to her my ID. He then carried my bags. In fact, I told him, I said, I can get them. No, sir. He said, that's my responsibility. And so he took my bags. He carried them to the room. And he opened the door. He put my bags inside. And he brought me from the outside to the inside. That's my job between the world, the porch, and God at the altar. And my job, as Job said in his affliction, there is no daysman. In fact, let me read the words to you. Job said, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him. And we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. He said, I would like to talk to God, but he's not a man. I'm not God. We can't come together, and I don't have a daysman. And he said, I need a daysman that would take my hand and the hand of God and bring us together. And that's what Joel is saying the job of the priest was, was to have a broken heart for those that are without that need to go in to God. And that's my job as a priest today, to have a broken heart for those that are out uh, without. And I'd be a daysman, I'd be a butler, be a doorkeeper and say, hey, I've got good news. He that hath no money, 
come. He that's thirsty, come on in. Hey, I want you to know that God loves you. And with a broken heart, I must say, with a broken heart, I must weep before God and before man to bring those two together. And that's what Joel said we need. Some preachers, some priests, some spiritual people that will bring the two together. And so I say tonight, Christian, weep and pray. Weep and pray for those that are without that need to be born again. I say tonight, somebody has to have a burden for the children. Somebody has to have a burden for the teenager. Somebody has to have a burden for the broken and the hurting and the destitute because I have good news. In some places, you have to have either someone to pay for you or a good amount of money to get in. The good news is God sent his son. Listen to me. As the priest, as God, priest and king. And he paid the price for us. And he opened the door. We must have a broken heart for those that are hurting without Christ. And say, you need to come in to the altar and worship before God. If your mom and dad's not saved, you need to get between the porch and the altar and weep for their salvation. If your brother and sister are not born again, you need to get between the porch and the altar and weep for them to know Christ. If you have a friend, if you have a co-worker that is without Christ, if you have a neighbor, and oh, how we as Christians need to go beyond that and we need to care about those that we don't know. We need to care about those that Satan cares nothing about except for what they have and the destruction of their soul. We must care for them. Joel said this is a serious matter. We're being consumed from within. We're being invaded from without. We need to see an old-time, old-fashioned revival, and that will happen when God's people come to weep between the porch and the altar. I wonder tonight, would you join me in this campaign and this election year? Would you join me in this campaign for revival? Would you pray with me for America? Could you see yourself, please, between the porch and those that are standing wondering if they're welcomed in and the altar, the place of cleansing, the place of forgiveness, would you see yourself standing there in prayer? This morning I said it would be a good thing if we prayed as the psalmist did evening, morning, and at noon. If we would have a time in the morning between 6 and 9 that we would cause and allow and work for our heart to be broken for those that are without Christ. And then at noontime to understand more important than the very food I eat is to hear from heaven and to say, Oh God, we need to hear from heaven. We need you to move on our behalf. And then and again in the evening, sometime between 6 and 9, we need to pray for our nation. Would you join me in a campaign for revival? Now those who say it won't work, it won't. But may I say it works in my heart. Wish I had time to tell you the story. You know when the plagues came to Egypt? You know one place that wasn't affected? Goshen. Wish I had time to tell you about that. 
I don't want to side with the destructive forces of the world. I want to side with the almighty God of heaven and see a spiritual awakening in my, in my land. Second of all, we need to be faithful to the assembly. Third of all, we need to bring every person that we can to the assembly. Why? Here's what he says in chapter, in chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify fast and call a solemn assembly. Hey, we're in trouble. It's not time for a party. It's time for preaching and praying. That's what it's time for. Then last of all, we need to pray for our preachers across America. We need to pray for our young men that are preparing for ministry, that God would protect them and watch over them. And they would say as Eisenhower, I don't want a desk job. I've been trained to lead men into battle. Give me a job on the battlefield. Oh, how glad he was when Truman appointed him as, or the president appointed him as the director, as the general of the Allied forces in Europe. That's what I want to be. I want to be a soldier on the front line and occupy until he comes. Stand with me, if you will, Heavenly Father. I pray that you tonight would help us to see the porch and the altar. And standing without are those that are wondering if they can go in. What's going on on the inside as they see the beautiful edifice of Solomon's temple. As they see the Shekinah glory of God dwelling upon that holy place. And oh God, Joel said there ought to be some priest over there between the porch and the altar that's praying.